And so turn to Exodus 3, and then we'll look a little bit in Exodus 4. And the, we're looking at his life, and we are looking at uh, how that he experienced different por- points of rejection, and we're learning from it. And what we're noticing is that God's called him to involvement now, whereas he was pushed away, God is calling him toward himself. God is saying, hey, Moses, come over here. Come join me in this work that I know that I see needs to be done. I want you to be involved. And so here we see in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, we'll be primarily in Exodus 4 today, called to be involved. Exodus 3, again, just read some, we're just going to read some scripture to remind you of some of it, of the picture. Moses, again, was called to a burning bush. Notice chapter 3. Let's look at verse 4. He was out in the wilderness. The Bible says, verse 4, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. God talks to him. And then God says, verse 10, Verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses replies, we're highlighting here. Moses, verse 11, said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? Verse 12, God says, I will be with thee. Verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Verse 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Let's skip down. Let's read chapter 4, verses 1 13, chapter 4, and 13 verses. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. We're in verse 7. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. He put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom and behold, it was turned again as as his other flesh. Verse 8. And it came to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And if they will, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. 
And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Then Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the, the dumb? Or deaf? Or the seen? Or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. You know, it seems like a lot of places that you go, um, people need your involvement everywhere. I mean, uh, some of the kids in here go to a Christian school, and I remember when our kids were going to that Christian school, it was always like emails coming out. We need a parent to do this. We need somebody to come in here. We need somebody to fill in over here. You always need somebody to help out. And it's because it's, it's not like it's, they have big budgets and tons of people on staff. They, they, they require some volunteers to fill in. My, my kids were involved in uh, EVAC sports. It means East Valley uh, Athletes for Christ. It's a homeschool co-op. Uh, sports group. They have guys and girls sports of all kinds of volleyball, basketball, some baseball, I think soccer, um, and then. But but it's all all volunteer. It's a it's all parent led volunteer. Nobody's paid, and they're constantly needing help. Can somebody help? Can somebody step up and do this? Can somebody help referee or do the not referee but do the clock, scorekeeping, and um, somebody help set up? And they're constantly and they have to. There's an art to that, the art of mani- recruiting and managing volunteers who could drop the ball any moment. There's an art to that. And some of that hap- also happens in a church. There's an art to that in a church where most of us, we just volunteer, and that's good. And uh, so, you know, a lot of places need volunteers, need somebody to involve themselves. So God here, again, in, back in this wilderness scenario, God has this burning bush, and he's, that's his means of communicating to Moses. He caught Moses' attention. Moses came and spoke to him, or yeah, they spoke to each other at the burning bush. In the bottom line, the big picture of chapter 3 and chapter 4 is God saying, hey, I'm calling you out of your, this stage of life now. Uh, It's been uh, 40 years. 40 years before that, you're in Egypt. Now, the last 40 years you've been here, I'm going to call you back to Egypt, and I need you to be involved. Why don't you come? And Moses has these five replies. Oh, but what about, yeah, but, yeah, but, uh, had these five replies. And so what we see in the whole text for us is that God indeed calls us also to be involved for him. And there tends to be, like Moses, hindrances and kind of like things that, res- that are resistance, uh, things that hinder us from being uh, active for God, serving God, following God's maybe a specific thing He's putting in your heart. There's five common, you can go to the next slide, there's five common hindrances. Uh, like Moses is called to be involved, so also Christians are called to be involved, but we tend to have hindrances also. Let's go two more slides over, Yannick. We have the first one we see is in chapter 3, you see that we mentioned it, that he was, uh, that Moses was not, didn't have this problem, but we can have this problem where there's a lack of interest. Where Moses, the first thing that God confronted him with, he responded to. 
God confronted him with a, a miraculous thing. It's a burning bush. You'll see that every day. So he goes and sees it, and he's communicating with God. Most people, they know that God is unique, God is special, that God's Word is special, but they don't pull aside to look at it. This is his burning bush. And so the first thing that hinders some Christians from following God and being involved with God is, you can go to a couple more slides, is that is the lack of interest. Now, obviously, I'm glad everybody's here today. That shows you're interested at some level to be among your brothers and sisters. That's good. Uh, you're interested in ch- chatting to brothers and sisters and mingling. Uh, you're interested in the Sunday school class. That was good. Interested in hearing the message for today. That's good. We need that. And, um, but sometimes our interest just only goes that far. I'm not interested in doing anything else for God. I'm not interested in anything else. And we need to say, God, I want to be interested. If you, pr- pr- if you present to me a vision of something else I need to do, whether it's in the church or in some other area of my life, I want to respond to that burning bush that you confront me with. Don't be one who has a lack of interest to where it's like, God, I know you're there. I know you saved me, but let's not get too close. Don't be like that. We need to have an interest in seeking the Lord. Some people have a lack of interest. Um, we see in Moses' life these next, these next five. We're going to look at the three today that we hadn't seen last week. Number two, for our points, we see that some people don't get involved for God, respond to God, and want to do something for the Lord, get involved in His type of work, is because they claim of insignificance. Oh, I can't do anything because I'm just insignificant. What did Moses say? Chapter, chapter four, 3, verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Now, we can sympathize with that. He probably really felt that way. Moses, is, it's kind of like, like saying, hey, we need somebody to go to the White House and talk to the president and negotiate with him about some issues. Some of us in here, I'd love to. Yeah, I know. But, but it'd be like saying some guy, maybe just some nobody from nowhere, you know, in the back, just living in the hills somewhere, hardly, you know, uh, knows anything. He's like, I don't know, who's he again? You know? The president of the United States, I can't, who am I? You know, it'd be, it'd be kind of like that. Moses is like, I, I, who am I? I've been, I've, been, I've, been out of the li- I've been out of the loop for 40 years. I don't have my apps updated. I don't even have a flat screen TV like everybody else. I mean, he's way out of style, you know. Um, you know, who am I to go to them? Plus, there was, he would know who I am. He would be like, wait, wait, let's search the records. Were you the guy that killed one of us? And left, mm, that's another who am I? I was like, whoa, this might not be a good idea. You know, but he did. He, he says, who am I? And God says, well, I'll be with you. And sometimes we like, I don't want to do anything for God because who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I'm glad God, I'm glad God wants to take every Christian and involve them right. if they're willing. If they're willing. Somebody said the greatest ability availability you know and so I'm glad God doesn't push me off or push you off he has a place for everybody and um, he says you know um, to to we out of the Bible talks about being fervent in spirit serving the Lord not slothful in your business of life but fervent spirit serving the Lord the Bible says if any man Jesus said if any man serve me him my him father honor so what hinders people from doing the next step for God is they feel like, well, I'm just insignificant. God says, no, if I'm with you and I'm helping you, you're not. The next thing is the claim of ignorance. 
Moses said, well, I don't know. What am I going to say your name is? Look at chapter 3 again. What is his name? What shall I say unto them? They're going to ask me, what's your name? What am I going to say? I, I don't know. I don't know how to. And God says, you tell them the I am sent you. You know that they, they see a lot of and hear of a lot of gods in Egypt that say, I am the God of the frogs, the God of the trees, the God of the river, the God of the clouds, the God of the underworld. I am this, I am that. And there's a lot of I am, and they're, they're a bunch of ain'ts. They, they ain't. I am. I am. And God, when he told Moses to tell them his name, say, the I am sent you. They'll know exactly what that means. The eternal, uncreated First cause of all first causes, God. Jehovah God is the one who sent you. That's who you've met with. So that Moses, when he comes back, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if your kids tell you they talked to somebody, and you're like, did you really talk to them? What did they say? Right. What did they tell you? And they have to tell you a few evidences like, oh, okay, you did talk to them. Yeah, okay. And that's what it's like for the children of Israel. They're like, well, Moses thinks, they're going to doubt me. So what do I say you said your name is? And so he says, if you tell them, say that I, the I am sent you, that'll, that's a clincher. Sometimes we think, well, I, I can't do anything because I'm ignorant. I don't, I don't know much. The most important thing we need to know is our Savior. And if you know Jesus, you walk with Jesus, you know the I am. That's it. Jesus told, said, in the New Testament, that this was him. Before Abraham was, I am. That was me. So that if I walk with God, if I walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I keep a relationship with him, and I'm not just talking about being saved. You're saved. If you're saved, you're saved. But being close to God and walk with God, you know him. I know him. I know the Lord. I know the heartbeat of Jesus. And if I know Jesus, then I know the most important things. And sitting at the feet of Jesus is the best seminary. It's the best Sunday school. It's the best class. It's Knowing Jesus is the most important. So if I know Jesus, I got the most important thing down. And I'm not ignorant. If you know God, you're not ignorant. All other, all other learning comes after that. Knowing God is priority. Knowing other things is secondary. Okay? Because if you know God, you know the author of wisdom. You know the giver of knowledge. So Moses says, but I'm ignorant. And he says, no, you, here's what you can say. You know me. Tell them the I am sent you. Now let's look at these next three, okay? Chapter 4, and I'm not going to break down all the verses, but the next one that hindered Moses and sometimes can hinder us is not that he says he's ignorant, but he says, well, if I go, I'm going to be ignored. That's number three. The claim of being ignored. Again, chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Moses is going to, God said, hey, let's go. Let's go back into Egypt. Let's confront Pharaoh and let's deliver my people out of Egypt and you're going to help me. And Moses is like, ah, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to follow me. Chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken to my voice for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. You ever felt like that? You know, some of us, maybe some of you that are teachers, you get a brand new class, maybe your first day of class, like, are these kids going to listen to me? You know, and so maybe you learn little tricks to do to get their attention, you know, or even animals, a dog, you know. How do I get this dog to listen to me, you know? And, and Moses is like, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to say, oh, well, we heard you, but you didn't meet with God. <laughs> yeah, here you look like you're just some grubby guy coming out of the desert, and you said you met with God. Yeah, right, you didn't meet with God. You didn't meet with God. So, God, so Moses is saying, hey, I'm going to be ignored. And God's like, well, let's help you with that. 
What do you have in your hand? He says, a rod. And he showed him something with a rod. Then he said, well, put your hand in your, in, your, in your coat there. He did. Pulls it out, and it was like leprous. It was bright white. It, was, it had leprosy. He goes, Whoa! And God says, put it back in your hand. Put, it, put your hand back in your garment. Put it in. It came out. It was, it was healed again. Wow! And then the third thing he did was take, if he, he told them to do. He says, if they won't listen to those two things, whoever didn't believe those two things, if they don't get it yet, then take water. When you get back to Egypt, take some water out of the river and just pour it on the ground. As you pour it on the ground, it'll become blood. Well, that happened, too. And so God says, do these things. This will catch their attention. Let's think about Let's go back to the first one. I'm not going to focus on those second, second, third. Go back to the first one. Again, Moses is saying, oh, God, I want to be involved for you, but I'm going to be ignored. Nobody's going to pay attention. I'm not going to be successful. I'll be a dud. I'm going to be, uh, you know, a lame duck. They're just going to be like, whatever. I'm going to strike out. And God's like, well, what do you got? What's in your hand? That's a rod. Now, he was a shepherd, right? I love this, by the way. I love this passage. I would like to preach it to myself a hundred times in another angle. What's in your hand? Oh, I got a rod. Because he's a shepherd. He's hunting around. He's rod and he you know, nudged some sheep or whatever. Or, or you know, maybe beat down a, a varmint that's coming in, coming in, you know. Maybe shake a bush to see if there's any snakes in it. You can tell he's afraid of snakes, you know. Uh, he's got a rod. I love this. What's in your hand? A rod. Oh, all right. Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It starts slithering, right? Whoa, and he hides from it. Here's an 80-year-old man afraid here. Uh, Cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. (laughs) But Moses was brave. I mean, he had an act of faith right here. Look at verse 4. The Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Now, there's not too many people that are... Tiff can grab a snake in the first place, right? How many of you, how many of you would like snakes? I'm not going to pick on you. All right, all right. Ooh, interesting. So if you grab it by the tail, that's usually not conventional wisdom, unless you grab it by the tail really fast and go back and slap its head off. You can do that. I'm not joking. If you grab it fast enough and you do a whip, you'll snap its head off or break it. You have to be quick. Otherwise, if you grab it like this, you're going to have to pull a Steve Irwin type of thing and just do some kind of... Like that. He, I saw him do that, man. He'd go by the tail and drop it, and then grab it by the tail, and then grab it by the head. And go, no, look at this snake right here. It's just going to poison the snake. And all this. And, you know, you could be like a Steve Irwin. But he, he said, grab it by the tail. And he did it instantly. It came back to being a rod. And he just trusted God with that simple item. I love that thought right there. I love that thought. Um, avail what you have. Isn't that neat? Moses was out in the wilderness. He had sheep. He had a rod. God's like, we're going to go do something amazing. Ah, nobody's going to believe it. There's not much I got. He goes, well, what do you got? A rod. Let's use that. Avail what you have. Isn't that neat? What do I have that can just avail to God? It probably looks like a rod. I mean, what I'm saying, like plain, I'm pretty plain. I don't even, it, the rod's not even sanded or stained. I'm pretty boring. I got splinters if you get too close in my life. You know, what, what do I have in my life? Plain things, plain education, plain thoughts. I don't know. We seem kind of, some of us feel kind of plain. 
But if we yield it to God, he can take plain things and he'll make them work. Isn't that amazing? That rod, he took that rod, and, and I didn't read it. It's been a while since I've read way ahead, but isn't it that he took the rod and he did those very things before Pharaoh? And, of course, the counterfeit guys tried to copy that, but he kept working with that rod and, you know, pointed out on something, and plagues came and did this and that with that rod. The rod of, it started to be called the rod of God because it was yielded to God. I like that. And what else was a big thing? What's the biggest thing you think of when you think of that rod? Yes, yeah, awesome, the Red Sea parted over. He, and it's because it's the rod of God now, not just the rod of Moses. Don't you like that? Now, I don't think we're ever going to literally part the Red Sea, but the concept, the principle is like, I take my plain things, I take my plain self, my plain hands, and give them to God, and they become God's hands. I take my plain schedule, I take my limited self, and I yield it to God, and God chooses to break down, God chooses basic things to break down big things. God chooses basic things to build up things. Isn't that amazing? God uses basic things if it's yielded to Him. You think of some Bible verses right now? How about um, in Joshua, Joshua 6, verse 20? What did they do when they were going to, when Joshua had the, Israelites, and they were going to go around Jericho. It's a mighty city, well-fortified. They marched around it once, I think it was what, once every seven days. On the seventh day, it was seven times. And what did they do to break that down? Break down the walls of Jericho. Shout, shout and blow a trumpet. Well, they blew the trumpet the other days, but they blew the trumpet and shouted and... Why? Because God, I like it, because God's like that, where he says, ah, I want to take basic things to break down these big shots. I like that. That's what he does. And the walls came down, and they ran in and took over. And then Gideon, whatever, remember Gideon? He had, God had a big group of Israelites, and they whittled them down to only 300. So Gideon had a team of 300 men to go against, I think, 15,000 Midianites or something, thousands of them. The Midianites were camped about a place, and they were just you know, a, a, a huge multitude of them. And, and Gideon and Adam, Adam or Brother Rusty will get to this when they teach in the book of Judges. You got to come. It's a great story. And Gideon had his men, 300 versus, again, I think it's 15,000. Isn't that right? Somebody help me out. Is it about 15,000? All right, just say a number then. I'm just kidding. I think it's about that. Um, and so you have them. And, and what does he have? A pitcher. And then like a torch and a trumpet, right? I mean, what? What are they going to do? Go into a Tupperware party and at night and going to play a special? I mean, what is this? And they're all standing about. And they say, you know, you break the pitcher and the torch shines and you blow the trumpet and say the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And they use those simple, plain things. And, they were, and all the Midianites were like, and they started killing each other. And God just spooked them, right? With what? A pitcher, 300 pitchers, 300 trumpets, 300 torches. Wow. That's how God is. And then it says, you know, we know another thing where God took a basic thing to bring down a big thing. He took a, a, a teenager versus a giant. A teenager with a sling 
and the stone. He had four other stones in his holster, but didn't need them. A sting in his bag. He had a, sting, a sling and a stone versus a giant and a bunch of armor and a gigantic sword. And didn't he have a javelin too or something? Uses these small things to break down a big shot. And then the, uh, in John 6, when there's, you know, was it four or 5,000 people, several thousand people are hungry, no food. And Jesus said, what do you guys have to his disciples? We're going to feed them. Well, there's a lad here that has five loaves. And what is it, two fishes, small fishes? He's like, bring them here. I'll take five loaves. And, didn't, and it, you know what? It didn't matter if it was a crumb and a, and a piece of the flesh. I mean, it didn't have to be anything in reality. Just bring what you got. I want, to, I want you to give the, the little that you got, and we're going to do something with this. They brought it to Jesus, and he fed the 5,000, not counting the, men, the women and children. That's how God, so God comes to this man, Moses, and says, let's take this rod, and we're going to take down a world power. So God chooses basic things to break down big things in such a way that gives him glory more than that object itself. So that it's not like, whoa, the rod. Oh, no, it's done. He's taking something that's nothing to bring to nothing somebody who thinks he is. So that you're just like, who's was that hand was that in? I read, I, don't, I didn't bring it with me. There was a guy, some of you have heard about this. There's some kind of thing in golf, the one putt or the one club challenge, where people will golf with just like one club. It's kind of their own little game. There was one guy, it actually happened here. There was a guy, I think he was 60 or something, and he just got bored with golf, and he was kind of an amateur type. And his friend's like, why don't you just golf with one club? See how it works. And so I can't remember if he used a putter or a driver. I think it may have been a putter. And uh, he's like, all right, I'm just, because he's getting bored with golf. I mean, that must be nice to golf <laughs> that much to be bored with it. And so anyways, he, he got bored. So he ended up having this nice putter, and he actually broke it. So he went to Goodwill. I'm serious. And this is no joke. He went to Goodwill. He bought for like $4 another putter. And he did this. There was a tournament at the, I think it was the Wild Horse Pass. They have a, I think over here they might have a golf. One of these casino places that has a golf course. He entered an amateur tournament. And, um, and he basically won with doing one, doing this one, I think, again, I believe it was a putter. It was this one club that he used the whole time, and he won. And, uh, and they thought, well, and it made a news article. And this was like, I think, three or four years ago. And I thought, you know, what matters about that, that putter, the difference is, is in whose hand it was put in, right? You put it in my hand, I can barely get through miniature golf. Right. But you put it in that guy's hand, he had enough skill to get through an amateur tournament and accomplish something. And that's, a, that's the difference in my life is I, I got to have a mentality in my life that... I yield things to God and say, God, make much of my, my little things. I want to serve you with my, myself. I want, to, I, I, want to, I want to make a difference in people's life. You know, even recently, there's some people I got a witness to, and I thought, how am I going to get this person's attention? How am I going to get this person's attention? And I, and I was thinking of the message. I'm like, I'm just a rod. 
my stories, my illustrations, my angles of thought, it just amounts to like having a wood rod. Well, God, I'll give you what I, I'll, I'm going to yield what I have in this conversation to you to use on this guy and this other guy. There's a couple of guys I got to witness to recently, and, and I think God's using it. And that's all I can do. I like it. All right, what do you got? That's a rod. All right, let's work with it. So he had that, the claim of being ignored, the claim of being, um, the claim, now the claim of being ineloquent. That is a word, ineloquent. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 10. Well, I can't really get involved, God, because I'm not eloquent at all. Look what he says, verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. It's, it's weird reconciling that verse with a statement, I think it was in Acts, that says Moses was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when, when, when I think it was uh, Stephen that said that, Moses was mighty in words and deeds. He said it in the context of when Moses in his first 40 years. So it appears to take the most basic interpretation is that within his first 40 years, Moses had a common upbringing of an Egyptian, no, beyond that, a better upbringing of an Egyptian in education and opportunities, and he probably spoke fine. And it says he was mighty in words and deeds. But then when he has this crisis in his life, and it literally overnight his life changes because he tried to get involved in this slave class, and then he ends up killing an Egyptian, and now he's chased down by Pharaoh, he runs, and for 40 years, he's t- overnight, it's kind of like a, just a drastic thing that changes life. And it probably affected him where like, he wasn't talking much to people except sheep and his wife and some father-in-law and what, maybe even them he tried to avoid. I don't know. He's always out with sheep. He probably didn't talk much. And maybe when he started talking, he thought, I sound weird. Maybe he stuttered. Maybe at this point, he really wasn't eloquent. He was a little rusty. The car had been sitting in the, the garage a long time and he had to... You know, it's like, ah, I can't, I can't get this motor running here. He says, I'm not eloquent. I'm ineloquent. I'm of slow speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord, I like this. And, the, and that may have been true at that moment because the Lord responds to that condition. Don't, listen to how God responds to this. Who hath made man's mouth? God made man's mouth. I didn't make my mouth. Neither did somebody else. Who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? What? Who makes people who, person that can't speak or that can't hear or that can't see or is blind? Who makes that? Is it not true that, again, some people have an accident, some people have crisis? We're not talking about that. We're talking about from these natural, from birth and genetic faults and all that stuff, congenital problems. Who made? God made that choice. Yeah. So then who can undo it? God says, who have not, I have, have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, verse 12, go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. God can tie up the tongue and untie the tongue. God can cause blindness and heal blindness. That's, his, that's in his, uh, 
in his design, his, his choice. So he says, I'm, I can't speak. I'm not, I don't have the ability to, ah, I can't speak. No, I can't. And God, it wasn't like I said, oh, man, I should have known. Oh, well. Ha, talk to you next time. It's not like God would that surprised him. Isn't it a blessing? Now, I think he used to be able to speak. As it says, he was mighty in words and deeds. And now he thinks, I can't speak, and I'm just I'm slow. And people are like, come on, just get it out. And I get tired of that, and it bothers me. I'm so glad that God doesn't call our past ability. He calls our present ability. Isn't that good? Because you could start thinking about, I used to do this, used to do that, used to could. But I'm now just kind of could, kind of can, right? Aren't you glad that God calls your present ability to work? All right, what you can do right now, let's work with that. He calls our present ability. He does not hold me accountable for my past ability at, on, in today. There he goes. I was reading about D.L. Moody. It's a little story I read. I thought this was good. Dwight Moody was an American evangelist in the 1800s, and he preached mostly in, the, in our country here, went overseas sometimes. And they said, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> they said that uh, he didn't have good... English, which I kind of want. I really would like to hear what he sounded like. But they said he didn't have the best English. But in his life, they think about one million people were saved as a result of his one-on-one, small group, crusades, different things like that. Around 100, uh, about a million people were saved. He was greatly involved in the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Organization, in the, in the day, in Chicago and stuff. Well, one time he went to, of all places, this is cool. He went to Cambridge in England. Okay, this, I, have a, I use a Cambridge Bible. I think they're the best publishing uh, for Bibles, and they're just awesome. And, uh, in fact, the King James translators, some of them came from Cambridge and from other Oxford and some places. But Cambridge is kind of like this elite school in England and all that. And he went to Cambridge. And they were appalled by his American accent and his unsophisticated speech. For one of the services, he had Ira Sankey was a song leader. For one of the services, the students were mocking their songs, singing. Uh, they were just causing a ruckus. Somebody threw a firecracker in, against the window. They were making a pyramid of chairs. They're messing around on this college campus at Cambridge, you know, over 100 years ago, 140 years, years ago or so. The door opened. This is during the song service. They were all messing around. They knew the... Billy American was there. The door opened. D.L. Moody came out. And then his song leader, there was already another song leader. His song leader, Ira Sankey, began to sing some, um, uh, well, they were praying. And some people interrupted when they were praying. And then he began to sing a special. And when they sang a special, some of them were banging their canes, beating the floor, umbrellas. They shouted, here, here, here. At the end of each song, they said, encore, encore, kind of mockingly. Then the, um, Moody began to preach. Before he preached, he reminded the crowd that this wasn't just a political meeting. That's how they get kind of rowdy at their political meetings. But Moody began to preach, and he preached on Daniel in the lion's den. 
Moody's monosyllabic pronunciation of Daniel sounded like Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. D N apostrophe L. That's how the English really picked up on it. Look at this. And he's this guy, you know. That's no, that's Australian. Anyways, you guys sound like you had some tea to sound British, you know. Anyways, Daniel was too much for the for the rabble rousers. And they shouted back, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. These, you know, these Cambridge snotty brats. Daniel back at Moody while he's preaching. Whenever D.L. Moody used any American non-British pronunciation, there was loud laughter. The hecklers were led by a handsome young student named Gerald Lander, who sat in the front row. Moody would keep preaching. He'd look him in the eye as he's preaching. He'd go out and look him in the eye. But that guy kept causing some ruckus. Uh, As the students returned to the university after this meeting, Gerald Lander, the handsome guy who was a heckler in the front row, loudly announced as they were going out, if uneducated men come here, they deserve to be snubbed. He said that with his buddies as they left. Well, somebody who ended up talking to him, it was the other students, talked to that guy and his buddies, and they confronted him. The next morning, D.L. Moody got a bellboy knock at his hotel room. They handed him a, um, a calling card saying, somebody's visiting you. It's Mr. Gerald Lander. That was the guy that was stirring up a lot of the disruption. Moody invited Lander into his room and recognized him instantly. I know who you are. The student said humbly, I want to apologize, sir. I brought a letter of apology from the other men. Some of the more gentlemanly students had, were appalled by their companions like Lander, by their behavior, and so they had written an apology, and they prevailed on Gerald Lander to deliver it to D.L. Moody. He said, you're going to deliver it to him. We didn't behave right. You go tell him. Apologize. So he did. He was being an English gentleman. He realized he had overstepped his bounds of propriety. Moody accepted the, the apology, but he had a long talk with Lander and got him to agree to come again that night to the next meeting so that he could prove the sincerity of his apology. And apparently he did. Little did Moody know that one day Gerald Lander would end up, be, that disrupted leader, would end up spending his life in southern China as a missionary. Anglican missionary, but a missionary. He didn't realize that. You know, you ever know, God, this is amazing how God has that sense of you. God took this guy, D.L. Moody, and he did much work in our country with his message and his minimal education, not the best English. And he did the same thing in England, where they, whereas they mocked him, he ended, God ended up using that plain rod to do something miraculous among those, some of those proud people and turned at least one of them into a missionary. Isn't that good? That's like God, isn't it? That's a God I want to follow. That's a God that says if he calls, that I, when I have hope, he wants me to do something or be involved in, no matter how I assess myself, how does God assess me? How does God assess you? That's one thing we have to move on in life about and not, not get too hung up on our self-assessments. What does God say about me? That's what I want to believe. What does God call me to do? That's what I want to do. He's in eloquent. God says, we'll help you. 
But here's one thing. Here's the last one. And God had to help him through this one. <laughs> and this is what hinders us sometimes, is the condition of being unwilling. Okay. So God dismantled all of his excuses. Uh, who am I? You're somebody. I'll be with you. Uh, what it, what's your name? I don't know. I don't know anything. Oh, my name is that I am. Um, they're going to they're gonna ignore me. Now, watch this. Take your rod. We'll use that. Well, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't speak. I'm going to be with your tongue. Well, Lord, can you just send somebody else? Yeah. Ah, that's the issue. That's what he says in verse 13. Uh, this is a polite way of saying, Lord, send somebody else. Verse 13. Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. That's like saying, go ahead and send somebody then. He's, he's saying, I, just send somebody else. That's what he's saying. And God helps him through that, but God gets angry. He's like, oh, I know your brother can speak well. He's going to go ahead and be with you, and we're going to work out a deal. And that deal was really, that deal was not the best, what wasn't, ended up being the best deal, having Aaron be a spokesman to the Israelites. Moses still spoke directly to Pharaoh. Aaron, he's like, all right, Aaron, tell the people, and to go tell the people. And, and God brought that in to kind of pacify Moses. But the, to back up for a moment, don't you see this little moment here? Let's just focus on this spot. That excuse, God addresses it. Excuse, God addresses it. Excuse, God addresses it. Excuse. So there's no excuses now. So it's not like, well, I just don't want to do it. Aha! That's usually our biggest problem. And that's what I see all the time. I see people, I'm like, you know what? I want to show you something in the Bible. And, and then after a while, I'm like, you know what? You wouldn't care if you saw it. You wouldn't care if you're convinced of everything. You just don't want to do it. Sometimes people are just downright unwilling. It wouldn't matter how well you come at it with an angle of the Bible. Some people are just downright unwilling. Now, again, God worked with him through that. Willingness versus inability, it's unwillingness. I love 2 Corinthians 8, 12. We're going to wrap this up here in a minute. If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted. According to that, a man hath, and not according to that, he hath not. In other words, Moses was studying, well, we'll see. but what about this? Okay, hmm, I guess that, God took care of that. Well, what about this? I can't speak. Well, I guess he's got an answer for that. Well, what about, no, I guess he's got an answer for that. See, he keeps studying all the problems. Sometimes we get like that. We overstudy things. And as I quoted earlier, Chambers says, one step forward in obedience is worth years of study about it. Obedience takes us right into the center of God's will. And he also said, you have nothing to do with the afterwards of obedience. Isn't that good? I'm not responsible for the consequences of my obedience. God is. So he tells him, and Moses ends up going and ends up following God, and God used him in a great way. I want to be, God calls us to be involved. He calls us to be involved in helping with the Great Commission part. That's witnessing one-on-one and, and as a group and as a church visitation. God calls us to involvement in looking out, caring for somebody, acts of hospitality, taking care of another person, visiting another person. God calls us to all kinds of all. Maybe there's something He's calling you to that I don't know about. All I want to say is don't drag your feet like Moses because God already has an answer to all the excuses. I just have to be willing 
I'm so glad the Lord Jesus Christ was willing. In Luke 22, 42, in the garden, he felt that human, that human, what you might say, difficulty of having to know he has to go to a cross in the pain of it. But more than that, knowing that he's going to be all alone. Gethsemane, he realized, I'm going to be completely alone on that cross. And God, forsaken of God. And he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That's the human part. Because he feels that anguish. It's even the Son of God part because he's still the Son of God. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm so glad Jesus is still willing for our sake. That's what the, that's what the Gospels is about, is Jesus going to the cross for us paying for our sin debt so that if we believe on him, we're saved forever.